Good afternoon. Welcome to week 16. One week closer uh, till we re- restart Sunday school in our normal time and place and <clears throat> with, with normal refreshments. Not too far in the distant future, I hope and pray. Uh, but we are continuing our study of the uh, gospel according to Jesus. Uh, we're in the last several weeks. I think we have two more after this week or, may, or maybe three. Uh, and then we will start a new study on uh, this time on the book of Acts. But today we're, we will continue with what we've been talking about, and that is Jesus explaining his gospel. Last week we talked about the way of salvation. Uh, the principal topic last week was about justification by faith in the Reformation uh, and what happened there. Uh, this week we're going to sort of segue into the subject for today, which is going to be about uh, the certainty of judgment. Uh, but before we do that, of course, I need to, uh, first of all, I want to make an announcement, uh, shamelessly promoting the new Bible study that we have that uh, actually it's not a Bible study, it's a book study uh, that we're going to start next Tuesday evening, the 25th of August. We'll be in the sanctuary from 7 in the evening until 8 in the evening. Uh, for those of you have, who listened to the sermon on Sunday, you probably heard that announcement made by Jim. Uh, for those of you who have not heard that, uh, that study is going to be about a book written by a guy by the name of Herman Bavinick. Uh, Herman Bavinick lived in the late 1800s and uh, died in 1952, I believe, or something like that. Maybe not that quite that late, but uh, anyway, he, he wrote what is considered to be a classic in terms of systematic theology. Uh, I, I, we've, uh, several of us have started reading that book already. Uh, it's certainly not a book that I had in my library. I'm not, as a matter of fact, I had not heard about the book until Jim put me on to it, and, and certainly I have, I have uh, been excited about getting started reading that. Uh, I think you will too, so I'm encouraging you, if you haven't already uh, signed up for, to attend that, uh, you can do that. Uh, if you would like to get a book and begin reading that, you, uh, you can contact Jim or perhaps Weston in the church office, and you can get uh, them to order you a book and have that available. But it's called The Wonderful Works of God. It's instruction on the Christian religion according to the Reformed tradition. Uh, I, I can assure you, uh, if you're anything like me, there will be lots of things that you think you know about the Reformed tradition, but when you start reading Bavinick's book, you'll find out that uh, there's lots more to know. So again, let me encourage you to, to call Jim or call Weston, uh, get your name on the list, and prepare to uh, start that study next Tuesday evening. Uh, the plan is is that we will go for eight monthly meetings, which would take us up into April of next year. So uh, uh, each of the meetings is about a month apart. Some of them, because of the holiday periods, are a little bit longer than a month, but it's pretty much uh, about a month between the meetings, and they'll all be structured the same way. There will be a, an introduction talking about generally about the topic, uh, that we've that we've have read or the reading that we've been given, and then after that there'll be a question and answer period. So again, let me encourage you to do that. Let me open with prayer. Oh heavenly Father, again we 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 start uh, like we should always start, and that is to praise you for your faithfulness to us, Father. We praise you because uh, no matter what the situation, we know that uh, you are there, that you superintend our every every need, you superintend our every. Uh, thing that we do uh, and that your your Holy Spirit is there also Father to superintend every word that proceeds from our mouth so Father uh, we thank you for that and we glorify you uh, that you do in fact have a, a detailed plan for our lives 
And we, we thank you, Father, that you continue to lead us and, and to, uh, to bring us along uh, as your people. Father, we know that we're by no means worthy of that faithfulness or, or even your presence in our midst. But we, can, uh, we have to confess that uh, uh, we are guilty of, of slandering other people. We, we cast judgments upon our neighbors while uh, we're guilty of even worse things than they. Uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to live not as hypocrites, but as faithful stewards of your many gifts. We ask that you would control our deceitful tongues and our judgmental eyes. Uh, we ask that you would give us sober thoughts so that we have no more delusions about ourselves. And so, Father, we, we ask that you to help us to see our own sins so that we might more clearly see the sins of others and that we can bring them the good news of salvation. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The way of salvation, justification by faith. That was the, where we ended off last week. I think the last thing I talked about was the altar call that Jesus gave at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, encouraging people to enter by the narrow gate. Today well, I'm going to start talking about something of a reaction uh, to Martin Luther's justification by faith. And as I described it last week, it's one of those, those current terms of, of uh, indicating a, a turnaround in a person's attitude or a, ter- a per- person's belief or understanding your red pill moment. Martin Luther's red pill moment was the discovery and continuing to read Scripture and the revelation of the Holy Spirit about the justification by faith. And of course, that became sort of the building block of uh, the, the Reformation. Uh, some of you may see the humor in that, in that first thing. If it, it's not, I, I, I'm sorry. Martin Luther, uh, something came out of the Vatican News Network in, the, in about the 17th century. Martin Luther is attacked for unsubstantiated claims about justification by faith. Well, Martin Luther certainly was attacked. Uh, the, the Catholic Church did not uh, suffer politely uh, what Martin Luther was doing as far as the, the Reformation was concerned and what he was trying to do in terms of discrediting the Catholic Church and certainly their whole uh, system of indulgences and forgivenesses, and et cetera, et cetera. And so the, the Catholic Church wasted no time in attacking Martin Luther about this justification by faith. And, of course, their, their premise was is that if, it, you know, justification by faith, would, to use our current term, is easy believism is that all you have to do is profess faith and then you don't have to do anything after that. Uh, that, that certainly is not what it meant. And John Calvin, uh, I'm sure, uh, wanted to, to get on, uh, on record as quickly as possible in response to the Vatican News Network story. That, that preceded CNN. It was VNN. But he, John Calvin, of course, wanted to respond to the Vatican as quickly as possible, and he did so in writing a, a little thing that... Uh, uh, in one of the, I think it was in the second uh, volume of the Calvin's uh, letters. But anyway, he said, uh, he, he wrote in this particular volume, he says that by faith we apprehend the righteousness of Christ, which alone reconciles us to God. And this faith, however, you cannot apprehend without at the same time apprehending sanctification. For Christ is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And when he, when he said that, this, uh, for Christ is made to us, he's quoting 1 Corinthians uh, one thirty, which says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And what he's saying there is, is once, you, once you have been justified in Christ, you become uh, the, the immediate recipients of these other things, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. These are all part of the package of justification. He goes on to say then that uh, once you have been justified, Christ therefore justifies no man without also sanctifying him. That, that's a similar refrain. It's first, I think is in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. I'll flip over to uh, the 6th chapter. And here it says, do, not, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Well, that doesn't sound exactly like what I wanted to do, but we'll move on from there. If it, Jump over to, to Hebrews. There's a, there's a verse there that, that certainly... Uh, Hebrews, and this is in the 12th chapter, the 14th verse. Where he, the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, reiterating the importance of seeking holiness or seeking sanctification, holiness via sanctification, the sanctification process. And then finally, if you turn back over to Matthew, the seventh chapter, we'll go back to these familiar verses that we've been talking to, and these are, these are subsequent to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about uh, and, and last week we talked about the twelfth and the thirteenth, the thirteenth and fourteenth verse about entering by the narrow gate, not the broad gate, and the reason for that. And we jump now to the twenty-first verse, Matthew seven twenty-one. He says, "Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven." Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And what Jesus is talking about here is the sin of empty words. These are, these are people who profess to be Christians. In, in uh, Matthew 7, 21, 23, what Jesus is doing here is, is talking about what is commonly referred to as the sin of saying without doing. Uh, we've talked about that before. That, that, that's the easy believism. That is the, the, uh, the, the uh, lordship uh, or, or not, no lordship gospel, if you will, which some people adhere to. <clears throat> but, but Jesus is talking very specifically here about there must be some doing that goes along with the saying. If not, then the consequence is going to be just as Jesus pointed out here in the 23rd verse. And even though you might say that you cast out devils or that you prophesy or you do all these other things, none of do it, doing any of those things don't guarantee you salvation. But he talks about in that 23rd verse, he said, Then I will declare to you, I never knew you. If you haven't been doing, if you go back up to the 21st verse... He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, the people who will, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So you can't just profess a faith and then stand by the wayside and see what happens after that. 
uh, there is that process. If once you've been justified, you also have been sanctified, which means that you have been given not only the ability, but the innate volition, the, the, the want to do the work of God in Christ. So that's, that's what he's talking about here. The sin of empty words. First of all, the, the, uh, the many that is talked about here in, in uh, Matthew seven thirteen. Many will say, we're not really, we're not talking about unbelievers or pagans. We're talking about people who were in the church, if you will, or at least among the body of believers and who were doing things which they thought uh, were in consonant with or were compatible with being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were doing all of those things. In your name we did this. In your name we did this. In your name we did this. And then Jesus in, 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 the, in that 23rd verse says, Yeah, depart from me because I never knew you. And so the, the, the implication is, is, that, is that they were not doing what he had, you know, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. They were not doing that. Perhaps they were making a show. Perhaps they were, 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 were acting like they were followers. But what Jesus is doing in the 23rd verse is, is destroying false hope. Now, that's not something you see a lot of, and certainly in today's evangelical world. Uh, of course, uh, we, we certainly are in, are in a different time, uh, and, and we approach evangelism, I think, quite differently than, than, than certainly than Jesus did in his gospel. Uh, and, I, and that's been coming about for a long time, and we didn't just get here yesterday. We've been here for a while, and that is, is that we, we try to make our evangelistic efforts uh, at least um, the kind of efforts which people can, if you will, make them palatable, if you will, to those that we are seeking to evangelize. And so we try not to do things which might be offensive, which might hurt someone's feeling, which might cause them to be discouraged or, or in some other way uh, destroy hope, even though it might be false hope. Uh, and, and I know, uh, we all know, all of you who are, who are watching this video, know people uh, that you have thought about, uh, you know, perhaps when they were uh, in church or perhaps after they died or, or something else. And, and you, you, you knew them perhaps better than most people did. And you think to yourself, well, I, I wonder if they were in fact truly saved. Because you, you've had an insight to, perhaps you've seen behind the scenes and you know what they were like behind the scenes and it was not compatible with that facade that they had in front of the, the curtain, if you will, out front of the audience. And that's not unusual for us to do that as we, as we look at people. Obviously, we don't judge them, but we certainly are discerning to, 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 to try and see just as Jesus, of course, Jesus knew them. He knew them. He knew their hearts. And so he was, he was very uh, safe in saying that, that, that depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, we don't have that prerogative, although we might suspect sometimes that, that uh, we, are, we interact in the body of Christ with people who, who perhaps are not truly saved. They're not, not pagans per se, but, uh, and they might be doing things which appear to be in the name of Christ, but... It, you know, there's always that chance. And that's the reason in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, as I mentioned this last week about uh, you know, the requirement for us 
to continually examine ourselves as we do, as we are engaged after we've been justified and we, we start the process of sanctification, as we try to grow daily or weekly or monthly and continually is the operative word there. We grow continually away from sin, uh, get further and further away from sin and closer and closer to the image of Christ. And for, in, in 2 Corinthians thirteen five, Paul is telling the, the church there in Corinth, He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do do you not know yourselves that Jesus is Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? You know, it it certainly begs a a question. If you, you made a profession, was it really true? And there are two people who know that. One, of course, would be God. And the other one would be you. And of course, that's the, the whole reason that we should engage in that self-introspection is to, to try and just, are, are we really of the faith? Are we doing the things which would be in, in, in keeping with being like Jesus? Do we have the mind of Jesus? Do we, do we have the emotions of Jesus? Uh, the, the things that we talked about last, last week. So Paul is telling in Corinth, test yourselves. And so we would we would reiterate that it was just as true then as it is today, or it's just as true today as it was then. Of course, perfection is the goal. Direction, of course, is is the uh, uh, objective there. That we always we we should be continually going in the direction of being like Christ, who is the standard of perfection. And that direction ought to be a consistent direction. It's not one of those things where we, maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe the week after, or one day I'm going to get my life together and I'm going to be more uh, committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also, Jesus Jesus talks about, in, in verses 24 through 27, the sin of empty hearts. In verse 24, he says that, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So there are people who do not pay attention to the words of God. And as, 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 as Jesus is making a final appeal here in these 24, 24 through 27 verses, where he's, he is essentially saying, he's, he summarizes the, the Sermon on the Mount as well as the other uh, exhortations that he's given there. And without genuine righteousness, you will not enter the kingdom. Genuine righteousness. You have to do what you say you are going to do. Or, and, and of course that, and what the Word says that you are, are, are obligated to do. There's only one possible proof to whether your, your profession is true or not. And that is what have you done in the cause of Christ? What have you done that demonstrates or manifests Christ in you? That, that's the only proof. Uh, of course, if, you, if you're like this, this short little, uh, I guess, four-verse uh, parable, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken to a wise man 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. A, a foolish man, and, and, and of course, transferring that into the, the spiritual realm, a foolish man would be a man who, who builds his spiritual life just like this man built his house. It's, it was, you might say, it, it, one of those slap it up, get it done kind of things as quickly as possible. Use cheap materials, uh, cut corners, jury rig it best you can, and get it standing. And of course, I, I, I think that most of you would agree that, that if not yourself, then, then perhaps you know people who've done exactly the same thing as far as their spiritual lives are concerned. They've jury rigged them to the extent that it appears like it is stable. It appears as though it, it is going to stand up to the storms of life. But when the storms of life come, it collapses. And as the scripture says here, and it fell and great was its fall. And finally... The validation of salvation is a life of obedience. In Luke, the 14th chapter, the 28th verse, again, it's, it's another one of those, uh, there's only one option, there's only one way uh, to be successful in terms of your quest for the eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, and that is through obedience. 14.28 says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Uh, I'm sure, I, and I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I would, I would imagine that probably a very large percentage of, of us came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and never once did we actually count the cost. Uh, we never sat down. Uh, of course, we weren't asked probably at the time uh, whether it was in a youth group or, or whether it was in a, a revival meeting or a Billy Graham crusade or in some other way or maybe in the privacy of our own room where we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at no time during that, that immediate experience did we sit down and consider the cost. We probably didn't do it that night or, or day or we didn't do it the next day or the next day because we were living in the euphoria of having made that step, that decision where we turned our life over to the Lord Jesus. Uh, it was only when we began to encounter the cost of being a servant, of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus that we began to, to wonder about whether uh, you know, we were going to be able to afford the cost. But the validation of our salvation is a life of obedience. The, the wonderful promise that we have, even though the cost is high, the wonderful promise that we have is that, that God will take us, no matter what the obstacles might be, is that He is always there with us. Uh, he is going to help us to overcome whatever obstacles, whatever uh, situations or events that might take place in our life, as that we know that He is able uh, to help us to, to get beyond those and to persevere in the faith. Judgment is coming. Matthew 7, the 27th verse, again, talks about judgment. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell and great was the fall. I, don't, I certainly don't know of any, any cases myself or particular cases of people, uh, maybe in our, even in our current circumstances. We've been under this, this pandemic uh, if, if, if you, that's how you want to refer to it. People use other words to describe it. But it, we've been in this situation now for, you know, at least five, six months. And I'm sure that there are many people who have, have come to um, 
a sense of desperation uh, in their lives and, in, and because of loss of job, loss of uh, family relationships, and any number of other kinds of things that have happened as a result of this. And, if they, uh, and, if, and generally, uh, those people whose houses were not built firmly upon the rock uh, have not fared well when they encounter these kinds of, of situations. So that's what Jesus says, the judgment is coming, and we need to be prepared for them. Now, you know, the, the, uh, some people would argue that the Sermon on the Mount probably was the greatest sermon in the Bible. Now, I, I certainly would not, uh, I, I don't know enough to, to make those kinds of analyses of all of the sermons that were preached by Jesus, but, but certainly it was a very important one. Uh, and people responded to it, but they didn't respond to it like you might have expected. There wasn't this mass repentance. There wasn't these mass conversions. There wasn't people who were, you know, like in a, in a, uh, a Jonathan Edwards uh, or big evangelistic crusade where people were, were bemoaning the fact that they are sinners and they're lost and they were sinners in the hang, hands of an angry God, so to speak. And, uh, but they went away and they went away talking about not the message, but the style. And as they would say in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, that's the way it was then. Even the scripture talks about how people walked away and, 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 and were, uh, the word that they used in the, in the Greek there was their minds were struck by the style and by the forcefulness of his, of his uh, speech and by the things that he, see, that he knew and, and how, how confident he was in, in what he said. Uh, things that, that certainly they did not expect from the scribes or the Pharisees or, or the Sadducees, the, the, those that, that uh, were their spiritual leaders. But Jesus struck a note. But it wasn't about the message. It was about the style of and in the again the the Greek word that they used it was saying is that their their heart their minds were struck, I think was the, what it says in the concordance a, a translation of the word that they used, and what it, we, the, the vernacular we'd use today is it just blew their minds. Listening to Christ and listening to Him speak with the confidence and the knowledge and the power in which He spoke is the style, not of course the words. Unfortunately, in today's world, we do essentially the same thing. We judge sermons, not so much on the content of the sermon, even though we might walk out and, and we'll tell the pastor at the door, uh, good, great sermon, good sermon. But what we're, talk, what we're generally are saying, uh, even in the compliments that we give, is that it was, it was palatable, I enjoyed it, it was entertaining. Uh, I, I'll probably will come back to listen to more of those if they're similar in nature. Uh, but generally speaking, people do not want to hear the strong message that Christ is talking about here. They, they don't want to have their 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 uh, uh, fault, their their hope, whether it be false or not. In many cases, it is. It's destroying false hope. They don't want a preacher that's going to destroy their false hope. They want a preacher that's going to be entertaining, one who's going to say things which are palatable, which they can swallow and not get heartburn over. That was true in Jesus' day, and certainly it's, it's not untrue today. But for us, as believers, it can't end there. Uh, we know that. Paul knew that. Uh, certainly uh, John Calvin knew that. Martin Luther knew that. Uh, for a true believer, 
uh, once we have been justified, we must in fact be sanctified. And the only way that we can be sanctified is if we begin the, the, as, as quickly as we can, as soon as it sinks from our head into our heart, we begin the life of sanctification, which is trying to grow daily and consistently away from the sin in our life and towards being in the image of Christ. Let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, again, your word of truth. It comes to us, it speaks to us, and Father, we thank you for it. We ask that you would be with us now as we go into this week, uh, continuing. Uh, ask that we would be what you have called us to be in Christ Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Amen.